0: Hello everyone and welcome to episode 587 of So You Want To Be A Writer, the podcast that's all about writing and publishing. My name's Valerie Koo, I'm CEO of the Australian Writers' Centre, the world's leading centre for writing courses, and I'm your host. What have you been up to this week? Well, now that I'm back on dry land, because I've come back from the cruise that I went on, by the way, thanks to everyone who messaged me on Instagram responding to the... um, Well, weird and wacky Instagram stories that I was doing from the cruise to keep myself amused. I actually enjoyed creating them so much that I'll probably continue with them, although obviously not from the cruise, uh, but, you know, from my home office or in my creative studio. One of the things that I was actually really surprised about on the cruise was the size of the library. Uh, It spanned two floors. It had a stunning, huge spiral staircase connecting the floors and it was stocked with a massive number of books. If you want to look at them, they're probably still in my stories. I put them in a highlights um, section on Instagram. Anyway, there were also quite a number of authors on board. Uh, The most famous, I suppose and high profile was Sir Peter Cosgrove, who of course was previously the Governor General of Australia, and he's written a number of memoirs. Um, We had a good chat about the benefits of personal storytelling. Anyhow, I'm back from my trip, and I'm back into the swing of things, and One of the things I am very excited about is our next special event. It's going to be awesome. Some of you may know that we have a very popular romance writing course, and it's usually a self-paced course where you have access to all the material for a year, a whole year, and you can go through it at any time, um, you know, at your own pace during that time. Well, You may have heard that romance writing is currently having a moment, right, in the publishing industry in so many ways. It is the most popular genre among readers right now, and many of the big names on the bestseller lists are currently rom-coms. And before you think that – let me just clarify. Before you think that romance is, you know, those traditional Mills and Boone paperbacks that you might have grown up with. Um, I used to work in a newsagent. We used to sell so many of those – But there is a very specific kind of romance. And um, some people think that that's what romance writing is and only is. Well, think again, though, because many commercial women's fiction novels fit easily into the rom-com category. And many books in other genres, including crime, for example, have romantic elements or romantic suspense. And, you know, what about historical romances, right? So the Romance Writing Course covers all of this and more. And very importantly, it will show you exactly what the expectations are from publishers and of course from readers so that you can ensure your story maximizes its chance to be published. Now, why am I telling you this? Okay, because I've organized something that's kind of awesome. As I mentioned, this course is usually a self-paced course where you have access to all the material for a year, And you can go through it at your own pace, in your own time, during that period. And it's still that, yep. You can still do it whenever over the next year. But I'm doing a special for Valentine's Day because, you know, it's romance writing. So I'm creating a romance writing special edition. Now, what that is, is when you enroll during my special Valentine's Day special (laughs) You get all the things that you normally do. So you get the incredible course where you get the 12 months access, but for the same price, there's no additional cost whatsoever. I am also providing to you completely free as a bonus, three live Zoom sessions with the wonderful Pamela Freeman, who also writes under Pamela Hart, uh, where you can ask all of your questions about romance. And she is the creator of this course, so she knows all the answers. These group Zoom sessions are on the 21st of February, 2024, 20th of March, and the 3rd of April. And if you can't attend, you can still submit your questions and Pamela will answer them and you'll get a recording of the Zoom. You'll also join a special private Facebook group just for students who enroll during this Valentine's Day special so that you can chat to each other and to AWC, of course. Now, here's the thing, because it's Valentine's Day, it's this is the only time of the year I'm organizing these bonus Zoom sessions, my Valentine's Day gift to you. So you can still enrol in the wonderful course after the special is over, sure, but there won't be any Zoom sessions. You know, it'll revert back to a regular self-paced course. So if you've even been remotely thinking about learning about romance, this is the time to do it and take advantage of my Valentine's Day gift to you. Because this is seriously the only time this year, the only time, possibly ever, but definitely the only time this year that I'm organising the additional free bonus zoom sessions with pamela freeman for those who enroll in romance writing and that's three bonus zoom sessions all included at no extra cost so if you're interested then find out more at writerscenter.com.au slash romance that's writerscenter.com.au slash romance Welcome back to Nat Newman, one of our fantastic creative writing tutors here at the Australian Writers Centre. An all-round, you know, very interesting person who does five million things. But she's here this week to give us our writing tip. But before we get onto that, how have you been, Nat?
1: Oh, uh, I've been doing all right, actually. Valerie, how about you?
0: Good. What have you been up to?
1: Um, well, we've started rehearsals for the play that, um, I wrote last year, and that's going to be in the Lake Macquarie One Act Play Festival in April.
0: That's exciting. And what's the play called? Uh, It's called The Library. Yeah, it's called The Library.
1: Yeah. But it's a, it's a little bit sinister, actually. And I'm very excited because I've got my director, I've got fantastic cast, and I'm very intrigued to see how they interpret the story that I wrote.
0: I love that. It's just another thing about write what you know, right? I mean, it's unsurprising that you've written about a library or it's set (laughs) in the library or it's called the library. Um, What's your relationship with the libraries?
1: Oh, Valerie, I love libraries, as you probably know. (laughs) Every time I I was once in Manchester for, I think, two nights and I joined the library just so I could like go in and, and look at some books. And I think I even borrowed a book or something. Maybe I wasn't able to borrow. I couldn't remember. But yeah, I just love libraries. I always go to libraries. Um, I'm a member here in Newcastle. I'm a member still on the Central Coast. I think I'm still a member in Sydney. (laughs) I love libraries.
0: Yeah, libraries are fantastic. I did the same thing at the New York Public Library. I was there for not very long, but I had to get myself a library card and borrow a book. I can't remember what book I borrowed, but, yeah, they had to get it from the depths of somewhere and yeah, right. I just sat there reading it for a while to soak in the atmosphere. I absolutely loved it. Um, but I do love libraries as well and some of the more magnificent public libraries that you, I haven't been to many of them around the world. I've been to some. Um, they just seem so amazing and the wel- the wealth of knowledge and books that are in there. I've often fantasised of doing some kind of, world tour of mm. of a, of magnificent libraries and then documenting it in some way. But I, I would just, but then that kind of takes away some a bit from the experience, like, you know, when you become a travel writer and you're oh, yeah. like, it's great, you get to travel a lot, which is fantastic, but you have to actually do the job and write the story as opposed to, you know, just bask just in it. the library and surrounded by all these amazing books and surrounded by some books which are yet to go on the internet. (laughs) Um, and to, you know, I love old books, just that feeling of who has owned this before and Mm. what did they get out of it? You know, um, uh, I recently bought a set of old books. It's a four volume set and they're just beautiful. And they are, I think it's Canadian or or I can't remember, um, but it is. <clears throat> it was uh, in the late 1800s and it was a four-volume manual on how to run a grocery store. Oh, my God. <laughs> And it's fascinating. It covers every single thing from customer service to HR to rostering to, you know, how to do store your inventory to how to display it on the shelves, how to upsell. They had it like a, they didn't call it upsell, but yeah. they you know they have a section on really how to upsell. It's just fascinating.
1: <laughs> like is it from a franchise or a chain or something? Or is it just for any grocery store?
0: Mm, no, I think it's for any, it's for any grocery store. They call they no. don't call it groceries. I can't remember. I have to look it up. Um, but it, it, it's essentially a a grocery store. Yeah. Uh, so somebody took it upon themselves to write this extremely comprehensive manual, uh, that covers everything that you could possibly, um, you know, even like um, uh, loading, like ha- how how to most efficiently handle when your goods are delivered, and that yeah, sort of right. thing. How to how to handle your money um uh, so it's 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 just it really does transport you into a whole other other world. Yeah. Um and not it's, something that you see the often.
1: Yeah, because it sounds so modern. Like it sounds like a really modern concept, but I guess it's not. I mean, like, you know, people have been managing shops forever.
0: <laughs> yes, yes. Absolutely. Um, yeah, fascinating. Anyway, how did we get onto that? I don't <laughs> <Let's know>. move- <laughs> we started at libraries, I think. <laughs> let's move on to our writing tip this week.
1: Uh, okay, cool. So um many uh many of our listeners and many people who are writing will have heard of the phrase kill your darlings. And, mm. um, it's kind of, it sounds quite brutal, but, um, but it is a really valuable lesson to learn. It's something I'm I'm dealing with at the moment, um, with a short story I've actually been writing the short, sh- short story for, I would say eight years. I just keep editing it and it's just not quite right. And I realized recently that I'm going to have to kill a really big darling. So mm-hmm. the story itself, it's, it's set in the art world and, and it started off, I had this idea of this Artwork that was actually made up of a hundred kilos of cocaine, right? Oh. And and it, and it was just, just this image that came into my head. Um, and I've managed to write this story, which and I love, love, love the story, but that image that kind of kick-started it all, it's just not working anymore for the for the story. And I I think I'm actually going to have to cut that sort of that whole section from the story um in order to make the rest of the story make sense like it's just not serving the story anymore so oh. that's what we talk about when we talk about killing our darlings is um, just because uh, okay so i'm doing a um, a directing course at the moment um, film directing course <laughs> at, <laughs> don't judge me valerie
0: <laughs> and, not judging um, i'm said you fit it all in but anyway <laughs> um and, and
1: in one at one point the instructor said something like the, the audience doesn't care how hard you worked to make this scene, if it's not working in the overall movie or short film or whatever, you have to cut it. Like if it doesn't make mm. sense for the overall um, film, for the overall story, and if it's actually distracting or it's changing the tone or it's just dragging the story in some way, you have to cut it. And and I think that was the thing that really sort of kicked me this week was to sort of go, you know, what? I'm going to have to cut this scene. Like my readers will never know this scene was important to me and that it was important to kickstarting the story. Mm. If, if it's not working for the story, I'm just going to have to cut it. And maybe I'll use that scene somewhere else. Um, because I, I just, I just love the imagery of it so much, but it's not working in this story. So yeah, sometimes you've got to kill your darling.
0: Yeah, absolutely. How do you know when it's a darling and it needs to be killed?
1: Um, I well, mean,
0: you know, for for the for listeners who are wondering, oh, do I have any darlings to cure? How do they identify their darlings?
1: I, I think one way. I mean, like for me, the fact that this story that it still doesn't work after eight years, like I know that eighty percent of it is great. But the fact that it's still not working means that I have to really interrogate the story very closely and say, what is it that's not working? And and sometimes you have to ask, what is my favourite scene? What is my favourite piece of dialogue? What is my favourite imagery in this? And look at that and say, is that the problem? And sometimes, unfortunately, it is. So, yeah, I think that's probably the best way. <laughs>
0: I wrote this story once. It was a nonfiction thing and it had to get um, approved by, I don't know, whoever it needed to get approved by. And I'm generally not precious. And I just said, there's just one thing you cannot cut no matter what. And and they said, what? And I said, it's the word fart. I really want the word fart <laughs> to stay in there because it was sort of like a, a the, the people that needed to prove it were a bit corporate yeah. and um it wasn't fiction, as I said. um And I realise that's really childish because <laughs> I wasn't writing a middle-grade book or yeah. anything like that, but um that was my darling and maybe I should have killed that. Who knows? Maybe. Speaking of killing your darlings, uh, that reminds me, I really want, have you seen that movie? I've been wanting to see it for some time and I just keep forgetting to, see where it's streaming um called kill your darlings uh starring um you know Daniel Radcliffe
1: oh no I don't think we've even heard of it
0: oh yeah 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 it's um uh, it's a, a dark academia type of oh, a, a type okay. of um, s- story and film. Uh, I've been meaning to to watch it, so I'll oh. I'll let you know if I find he's it. He's
1: made some really interesting acting choices, hasn't he? Like
0: from oh Harry Potter, God, to Weird he? Al
1: Yankovic, to yes, <laughs> the Swiss Army Man or
0: whatever. Like oh yes, <laughs> yeah. Well, he's going very well. So good choices. Yeah, interesting choices. All right. Well, thank you so much, Nat. Thank you. Right, let's move on to our competition this week. I'm giving away three copies of Whenever You're Ready by Trish Bolton. Whenever You're Ready unfolds as a sweetly wise and gently wistful novel revealing the secrets and seasons of three interconnected lives. Serving as a heartfelt tribute to the experiences of older women, the story is a moving and perceptive exploration of these women's quest for a new path in the aftermath of a sudden loss. Here's the blurb. An unexpected death finds Lizzie, Alice, and Margot at various crossroads in their lives, torn between looking back and moving on. Lizzie is reeling from her discovery of a decades old secret that changes everything she thought she knew about her friends, her family, and her marriage. Alice has always been the good time girl, as charismatic presenting the weather on television as she is working as a life model but decades of piecemeal gigs have left her with a rapidly unravelling safety net. Meanwhile, Lizzie's perfectionist daughter Margot is realising that despite having built herself a faultlessly curated life, she hasn't put her troubled past behind her as neatly as she thought she had. Okay, so I have three copies to give away. Just go to writerscentre.com.au slash win. Now entries close on the 5th of February and I've made it super easy for you to enter. So writercenter.com.au slash win. And now... Are you ready for the word of the week? Well, I hope you are. This is a really good one. I like it. It's posology. Posology. That's P-O-S-O-L-O-G-Y. Posology. Now, it sounds like something an influencer does on Instagram, you know, something to do with posing, but it's actually the study of dosage, as in, you know, the dosage in relation to pharmacology and medicines and that sort of thing. So there you go, pathology. And now it's time for our writer in residence this week. Jenna Lobianco's brilliant novel is The Italian Marriage. Jenna is also an educator, PhD candidate and advocate for Italian language education in Australia. And as you'll hear from our chat, she is one very persistent and determined person. Thank you so much for joining us today, Jenna.
2: Thank you so much for
0: having me, Val. I'm very excited, excited to talk to you. Yes, I am too. I'm very <laughs> excited to talk to you about your book. I mean, oh, so good, so good, so good. The Italian Marriage. Um, for listeners who don't have a copy yet, tell us what it's about. Okay.
2: Um. So The Italian Marriage Um. is basically about two main characters, Sarah and Matthew, and how they've come together, which is quite an unconventional uh, union. Um, Matthew uh, has grown up his whole life, he's a workaholic lawyer now, but he's understood that he stands to inherit his family's estate. Um, and a big part of that is a hotel chain in Florence. Um, and But there's a bit of a caveat there that in order to assume this estate, he needs to be married. And there's this 15th century inheritance clause that kind of um, guides that. Um, and that the heir to the, the Dadamo family trust must be the youngest legal age married male. So he's finally got this call to step up, which is great, but he's not married. So he uh, hires essentially Sarah Brown to come and join him in Florence for a year to sort of uh, facilitate this handover. But a few things go wrong. It's not as straightforward as they would have hoped. And things happen, Val. <laughs> we, <laughs> don't leave it we might leave it there and not give too much away just yet. <laughs>
0: All right. So, how in the world did you come up with this idea, especially the part about the fifteenth century (laughs) marriage clause? (laughs) Who would know, right?
2: Uh, That's right. Look, um, the whole idea of the Italian marriage—it's not a romantic origin story, unfortunately, as people might hope it is. I actually was um, struggling and querying my first manuscript. That was a long and arduous journey, and. I very much took the advice that most writers get, which is to keep writing, right? And even though the first book that I wrote was my passion project, you know, that was, you came from my heart and my soul, I thought, okay, something's not working here. I'm going to really think about this with commercial lens. Uh, so I looked at, um, I turned my eye to the market basically. And I was like, what's being repped by agents? What's being sold um, in the romance and the you know, contemporary romance sphere? And then I kind of watched what was happening for about four years. I looked at the tropes that were being pulled together out of, you know, from in all the big, the big sellers. And I tried to piece together a narrative um, that used different kinds of tropes that we hadn't seen before. Um, I wanted to be different. I wanted to have a point of difference. Uh, and that's sort of how the idea of you know the inheritance clause came about, and the idea of an arranged or like you know a, a, a fake marriage came in, uh, and the forced proximity sort of came through. I tried to pull all those tropes together, and then I thought, how am I going to set this in Italy? <laughs> because that's <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and that is essentially the origin story of the Italian marriage it was completely commercial I was watching the market and I'm like if I'm going to sell to the market because it's not my passion project now I need to have that lens and that's what I
0: did. Wow fantastic I love that strategic approach (laughs) did it become a passion project at all and what happened to the original passion project?
2: Okay, so the, the original Passion Project, um, after 160 rejections over four years. Yes, I know. Oh, I my God. Cry, so stubborn. Um, that is going to publish next year. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think that journey taught me a lot about what makes a manuscript ready. And um, it wasn't the time for that manuscript because, Val, it was very much... At the time when I was querying that to agents um, all over the world, agents everywhere, all the feedback that I was getting was it's not the manuscript, it's the timing because Emily and Paris had dropped on Netflix and everyone wanted Paris, France, you know, they didn't want the Italian story. Italy wasn't the vibe <laughs> and it wasn't the aesthetic. Um, for me, it's always the aesthetic, but uh, mm. for the time, for the market, it was Paris. So my book was never, it was always clashing, you know, oil and water. And when this one came along, I thought, okay, this definitely has a very, you know, the Italian marriage has a very strong sense of place. Um, But I think because of my commercial approach and my strategic approach, I was able to get through this one, get this one over the line.
0: Yeah, 106 rejections. No, no, 100. Sixty! Oh my God, 160 rejections. Okay. The, the resilience and the persistence <laughs> is amazing, but I guess the moral of that story is keep persisting because it's happened for you now. That's fantastic. So yeah. tell us about how you, now I know that you signed with uh Jacinta Demasi, the agent and then you've got and you ended up with a three book deal with Pan McMillan tell us about that journey how did you get on their radar and and how did you and and then the the story of how you got the book deal
2: right so I had passion project you know that first (laughs) book that set I set that aside I smashed out the Italian marriage over like three months oh wow Yes, and then I actually enrolled in the Australian Writers' Centre Romance Writing course and I used that to edit, sort of like reverse geared that to make sure I felt like I had everything in place and I was really happy with how it was all looking. I thought, okay, I think I'm ready now. And I decided that at that point, quite jaded and bitter, (laughs) (laughs) as you can imagine, Um, I was actually going to put that one aside and I was going to lead with the with the Italian marriage. Now I um I had followed Jacinta. So Danielle's my agent, Danielle Binks, but yes. I had been following Jacinta for a very long time. Um, I'd also been following Dan- Danielle for a very, very long time, but like the two of them. Um, and I had followed and unfollowed over my queering journey because they were, they in my mind were like the untouchables and people I really wanted to work with. And I found that when I was at my lowest ebb, it was really hard for me to watch everyone else's journey flourishing when I wasn't there. Anyway, I, um,
0: and of course Danielle is an agent with Jacinta. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So I ended up reconnecting, um, and following them when I decided I was going to take this bad boy out onto the market. Um, and no one had seen it, like no one had seen it. And I thought, great. And I was really careful not to send it out to anyone, Because a lot of what I had seen in the Australian market was, particularly agents, if you have sent it to publishers before and been knocked back, we don't want to see the manuscript. Don't don't query us. So I'd learned from that experience. And um, I connected with with Cinta and we had this funny little moment on Twitter back when Twitter was a, you know, um, a a big part of my life uh, for the writing community. Uh, and we, we connected over this beautiful um, image of an Italian library and I shot her um, something from my Instagram, an image that I have on my Instagram about um, the library at the Accademia della Crusca in Florence, which is um, a governing body that helps to protect and preserve Italian language. And we ha- kind of had this click moment and then she followed me back. And Valerie, that was the moment that I think my head fell off my neck and shoulders <laughs> and I thought, okay, I might be in with something. And then I'm like, no, professional mode, Jenna, do not do anything. You sit on your hands and shut up. And I did. And then we kind of just were in and out of each other's stuff. No DMing at that point until one day I um, I kind of had to pluck up my courage And I said, okay, I'm actually going to. And and meanwhile, I've been watching their website. They've been closed to to queries for so long, like over a year. And I'm waiting and I'm waiting and waiting. Nothing's happening. Come on, Jenna, just do it. So I DM'd Jacinta and I'm like, hey, Jacinta, I have two full length completed women's fiction, contemporary romance, set in Italy, manuscripts, 96,000 each. Are you interested? And then I just remember about watching the bouncing ellipsis in the DM, you know, like my heart, like in my throat going, oh, my God, this is going to be a rejection. That's going to be an unfollow. And then uh, Jacinta said something to the effect of, yeah, sure, great. Here's my email. Send it through. Oh, my goodness. And then the waiting. Then the waiting. It was like three months. And I'm like, okay. Three months? Yeah. And I'm like, it's okay because... Publishing is slow, everyone's super busy. Meanwhile, I'm watching all their other titles publish. I'm like, these girls are busy. Um, it's okay. And then I got to a particular point where I was like, okay, well, maybe it's just a, a no-form, you know, or a, a, a rejection. And that's cool. I was like, yep, okay, I'm 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 in a good place now. And I took my son for a walk. This is like deep in pandemic mode. I took him for a walk and um my phone pinged and I was just like, oh, okay, and there's an email. And it was from Jacinta. And she said, um, just to let you know that we are seriously considering this work and uh, Danielle loves it. And she's just, she's finishing off the other manuscript, but you know, reach out to us if anything happens. Um, we We wanna have a chat. And then a couple of days later, I got my offer. And that was just crazy. It was just, it happened really fast.
0: But that was an offer of representation by them or an offer from Pam McMillan?
2: Offer of rep and then Mm I had a chat to Danielle and she just got it. She just got me. She got the work. She's really passionate about strong, smart romance that just moves and challenges ideas and, and is just, you know, I was she's just the right person for this and she just got me and got what sets my version of all this apart and I was just so excited and then um she wanted a little bit of time with them just to go back over them and then we took them on submission and four weeks later I had a three book deal with Pan Mac
0: four weeks later and you got a three book deal what do you remember when you got the call um it
2: was in and out. Um, I knew that they were going um, Alex Lloyd who's my publisher he took it to acquisitions and obviously got all the uh, okay and they worked out whatever they had to work out there and, and then I just remember I was outside hanging out the washing how glamorous and domestic goddess of me. Um, and Danielle goes we've got a we've got a deal and She's like, I'll send it all across to you. And I was outside in the pouring rain, mind you, and nothing fazed me in that moment. And that was that was it. And I was like, this is why I had to keep going. And in the end, Danielle and Jacinta were the only ones who saw the Italian marriage because I held off and held off. And that, I think, perhaps is what sold it. I don't know. I do not know. But they were the first to see it and they grabbed it.
0: Wow. This (laughs) is a fantastic story. And congratulations. How exciting. Just absolutely brilliant. So it's a three book deal there's the Italian marriage, there's Passion Project, which is going to come out next year. Are you writing the other one or have you written yeah, the other got, one? Um,
2: yeah, so my, my beautiful Passion Project. I can't tell you what the title is yet mm-hmm. uh, and I can't tell you where it's set yet, but again, it's somewhere in Italy. So that one's coming out um, at some point next year and then book three will follow on. And that one, I've got about 20,000 words still to add to that manuscript. So that's due in the new year and that's okay. I write. I can write really fast. But uh, yeah. So they might. That's
0: my little trio. When did you know that you wanted to write fiction?
2: Oh my god, Valerie! I just didn't. It was a complete accident. What do you mean? It was a complete a- accident. Look, when I was little, and I've I've been a long time with Snuff first time caller to this podcast. <laughs> 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 um, and I'll tell you that origin story if you want it too. But when I was little, and I was in grade one, so I was like what six. I, um, I wrote my first picture book and I remember my grade one teacher at the time, she's like, this is great. It was in rhyming couplets and like, because I was absorbing every movie or whatever TV I was, you know, you know, exposed to. And I wrote this picture book in rhyming couplets and everyone made a big deal about it. And I don't know why. And I've still got that book somewhere. Um, But that was really when I first got the props, you know, for congratulations, you can write something, but I didn't do anything. My background is in education. I'm an Italian teacher. I studied um, Italian and I have a major in theatre studies from the University of Melbourne as well, but yeah, I never wanted to write. In fact, my worst grade at in all of my degrees at university was in creative writing and it took a trip overseas in 2013 for me to lose my luggage i can't remember if i was coming from barcelona or ibiza or somewhere but somehow i had a really tight connecting flight i made it to mykonos but my luggage didn't Um, and we arrived on a 40 degree day um, and i couldn't leave the hotel room I was actually doing some publishing work in another um, field at the time. And um, I had all my materials with me on my laptop. And I sat on my bed in this hotel room and it's like, there's no heat, there's no cooling. There's nothing, I'm like melting into a puddle. And then I saw this character come to me who's actually the main character in my second book. And I just felt compelled. I felt like something was pressing on my soul to unpack this woman. And I can still see it in my mind what I had pressed there in, in, you know, that kind of third eye moment and it's this woman walking down a flight of marble stairs and then she opens up this double door sort of set of this palazzo and steps out into cobblestone streets and she's enveloped by white light and she has an easel and a, a leather satchel and she disappears and she's engulfed by this white light. And I thought, oh, my God, what was that? And I just wrote it. And then all of a sudden the um, the sidekick character came in, the best friend character arrived. And then there was, um, I can't give too much away, but then the place set, the setting, the world of this book suddenly, it was like a light turned on. I'm like, oh, my goodness. Okay. And then it became over, the, look, I was living overseas for 12 months at that point, but over the next kind of 12 months after that, I, shipped away and I kept adding I'm like how do you write a book what is a book I would love to read but like how does one even write a book <laughs> like, <what's> the <laughs> thing? and then it just kept going and going and I didn't do anything with it for ages I ended up with 20,000 words and then I started my PhD um, and all these other things happened and this file just stayed on my computer and every now and then I kept coming to it over the the years that followed but it took me to become a mum and when i had my my first child and my life was sort of flipped upside down and i lost all sense of who i was as a professional as an educator i was doing a lot in the consulting space a lot with teacher educate like i was doing a lot of things i was traveling a lot to italy back and forth for work and everything and then everything stopped valerie like everything stopped and i was stuck and i was breastfeeding and i was sleep deprived and i was on phd leave and I'm like, who am I? Like, who the hell am I now? I don't understand. And what I missed was Italy because I couldn't get back as readily as I used to be able to. And then I was like, I've got that book. I'm going to give that some love. And that might be a way of me for me to connect with that former version of myself. And that's what I did. And then I finished it in um, October 2018, 2018. Uh, and then I remember this will make you laugh. This is like what not to do. <laughs> <laughs> I remember the day I finished it, and I literally saved down the file. I closed it and made sure my Dropbox had updated. And then I'm like, Google, how to publish a book. <laughs> <laughs> You can, oh my imagine, God. you can imagine what I got, like all of the self-publishing tools came up and everything. I'm like, oh, what is an agent? Okay, what is a literary agent? How do I get one of those? It was, I was so naive to the process. I was so misinformed. Well, not even misinformed, not informed. And then that's where it all started. What all started? Like that querying journey
0: the discovery of all of the things that you needed to do and 160 rejections. Yes. I'm still <laughs> floored by that. I think that that's absolutely amazing because I know people who get one rejection and they give up and it's such a shame because look at, look at what can happen when you when you do persist. Oh, my goodness. Okay, you must, you must tell me because you teased it earlier, the origin story of coming to the podcast then.
2: Oh, right. So <laughs> after I had my son Anthony um and I turned my focus back to this manuscript I'm like okay I've got to do something with this but like how and I didn't have time Valerie I had this baby and he was super clingy he was always on me in the carrier I was like cooking dinner I was ironing making lunches whatever he was always on me I had no free space I'm like what can I do because I love to learn what can I do that's going to educate me and connect me and make me feel like I'm actually talking to another adult um and then oh, podcast, all right, we'll have a look and I'll see. And I remember punching into Spotify, um, author podcast and or writer podcast. I must have been writer podcast. And then I remember your face came up <laughs> <laughs> and um, I'm like, okay, so you want to be a writer? What's this about? And at this point, you guys already had like a back catalogue of quite a few. Like it was, I think at that point it was about 200 episodes or something. I'm like, okay, I can do this because one thing that Anthony did do for me when he was little in those first six months, he would sleep and um, I could take him for a walk and stick him in the pram and he'd give me a good hour. And slowly over the two naps that I got a day with him, I just went from episode one, I think it was Graham Simpson or something. Yeah, first episode. (laughs) And I remember he was, and Graham in his episode was talking about like, how he did a PhD and how his PhD, even though it's not at all connected to his writing world, taught him the resilience and the focus needed to write a book. And I'm like, if Graham can do it, I can do it because I love <laughs> the Rosie Project. It's one of my top fives. Let's let's do this. And I literally went bang, bang, bang. I was smashing out like three or four episodes a day. And I'm like, if all because so many of your beautiful guests have had like their rejections and their difficult stories and things have happened in their lives. If they can do it, I can do it. And I learned so much from hearing their experiences um, and connecting with the Australian Writers' Centre and just watching what you guys were doing. And I'm like, okay, there is, you know, a process and a system of how to do this and go about being published. And I just needed to inform myself. So if it weren't for your podcast or this podcast, <laughs> I don't think I would have known what to do. And I think I found peace and harmony in, in you know, being able to empathise and sharing that common experience with other writers.
0: Oh, I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that. Where did you, and when you thought of this story and you thought of Matthew and Sarah, the characters, and at what point did you know what was going to happen in the whole story? Or did you just start writing and mm-hmm. see what happens?
2: Well, I, I had done that research for a while and I'd watched the trends and tropes. I knew kind of what was missing at that time in the market for contemporary romance and all I had was the opening scene at Sydney Airport. I had him running through the airport, she's waiting for him, they get on the plane and we understand through the kind of context that's led up to that over the first few pages that they're married but we don't find out until the plane takes off that they actually have never met in person. Um, that's what I led with and then I I had to decide where I was going to set the book because and eventually when you read the other two that are coming, I'm really led by place because a city with its own language, its own culture, its own customs and traditions and icons really determine what I can do to push the boundaries in terms of the narrative and plot. So the Italian marriage couldn't have been set anywhere else and my beautiful passion project story can't be set anywhere else because the place or the, the Italian city is very much
0: a character in my, in my plot work. What, where did the love of all things Italian come from?
2: My background and my family. So my family background is Italian. I was born in Australia. My parents were born in Australia. My grandparents were part of that post-World War II um, migration wave that came out. My mum and dad uh, grew up in northeastern Victoria um, in a rural country town. And given that, English language wasn't really a big part of that kind of um, absorption that happened in the community. So it became a really tight-knit Italian community. Not a lot of English was spoken. So mum and dad made the call when I was born to teach me dialect, so the family dialect. So I actually went to kinder not speaking English. I only spoke our local dialect. And I actually grew up with a bit of a love hate relationship um, with my Italian background because I just felt like one of the other many Italian kids. And I remember going to cultural day on, you know, in the primary school years and, the, you know, the gorgeous Indian kids had their colorful saris on and some, you know, African kids had these beautiful, like colorful costumes. And I just went to school with a pizza box and a checkered <laughs> tea towel over my arm. I'm, like, I'm just one of the Italians. Like I didn't feel special until I got to high school and I realized that I had a strength in my language that the others, some of the other people around me didn't. And I thought, okay, well, there's something to this and I'm going to embrace it. And then I did Italian all through high school, through university, and I've lived in Italy and I've studied and worked in Italy. And, you know, it's been such an immensely huge, important part of who I am as a person. And I'm an Italian citizen now as well. And now I'm an Italian teacher, although I am on family leave at the moment because who can do all of
0: this and teach full time? <laughs> <laughs> who can fulfil a three-book deal with <laughs> Payne Macmillan and do all of things? Now, clearly, Pay Macmillan believe in you and I can see why. I mean, you're such a great writer. Um, and in terms of the, you know, the, clearly you're, you are set to be huge in this space which is in this genre which is absolutely fantastic and i think um i can't wait to read the second one now what did the you said that you enrolled in the romance writing course what did that teach you
2: oh, it was it was everything i needed at that time because like i told you before i had no idea what i was doing i was just going by what i had read and what i understood the narrative structure to be just from reading No one had ever sat me down to say, this is what a book needs to look at. Like, these are your plot points, attention peaks. I had no idea. I had no idea what a trope was, okay? So by the time I got to write The Italian Marriage, I'd worked that out. I'd learned enough from the podcast and my own reading and informing myself. But what I wanted, and it was it was serendipitous that I'd finished the book and then you guys announced that that writing course was starting. And I remember Pamela did like a Q&A. She had a lovely writer on. I can't remember who it was. You guys did an info share session. I'm like, yep, I'm enrolling in that because I needed to have my checklist. I was like, this course from the outline I'm like, is going to show me that this is, have I, have I checked all these boxes uh, you know, is the tension working? Have I got everything I need? And that's exactly how I used it. And I used it to edit the book and I didn't have to change anything. I thought, great, if 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 you guys have said it, I'm going to trust it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love that. So now that you, uh, this is clearly going to be your career. So how do you fit it in with the other things that you're doing? What does life look like in the combo of things that you do, especially well, when you're writing?
2: Yeah, I am um, at the moment. It's I would say what I'm doing is not typical um, because my head is currently in three manuscripts. Um, we've just only you know I've just got my my author copies yesterday of the Italian Marriage, um, so I can almost sort of clear that. But now I've got all the publicity and marketing stuff coming through, so that's one thing I've got to still keep my head here. Um, book two. I've just set off my copy edits and that's gone to typesetting and book three I'm still writing. So I've got my head in three books, three three casts of characters, three timelines. Um, that's not easy. And I've got my PhD. I'm also writing on the side and I've got my two small children. I've got a three-year-old and a five-year-old and I'm running. A- oh, um, I'm trying to do some relief teaching to keep my teaching um, registration alive and well. I've got to do minimum number of days a year for that. Um, so what I do, and you gotta remember, like all of this is with love, yeah. Like I love this. This is not a chore. Um, so I get up in the morning, um, sometimes four thirty, sometimes five, depending on how I go, and I try and get a few hours in in the morning. Um, whether it's writing, if it's reading edits, if it's um, PhD, whatever I f- I'm feeling or the, what is necessary, you know, necessary at the time. And then when the kitties go to bed at night, I'll duck out and go for a long walk, clear my head, podcast or music. I come home and I keep going. So I don't actually sleep a lot, Val. I, <laughs> I get maybe <laughs> five, five, four and a half, five hours a night. But I know that what I'm doing is setting up my career, and I know that this is my back catalog and. Um, like I understand that you know this pace and this rhythm won't always last. it won't always be three books in this time frame that Pam Mcmillan have set um it will it will slow down I know that and this is really important to to set up the career and to set up the back catalog and and the podium, essentially, from which I'll I hop.
0: love that you recognise that this is such an important setup stage because I can totally see you having longevity in this career and and you'll have a, a easier time of it if you do do the work now, even though you are juggling five thousand other things. Um, now, I usually end with asking about your top three writing tips, but as I said before, there are some people who. They get one rejection and they give up. I would love to hear what your top three tips are for that resilience, for that persistence, for, you know, sending out the 159th <laughs> email, you know. Yeah, what would your tips be on on that? Because the, the payoff is so fantastic. It yeah. has been so fantastic for you. So what would they be?
2: Um. Okay, so I was told by a very, very special, very dear writer friend and now very special girlfriend of mine, Sandy Barker, who I know is a a friend of your show as well. Um, She's been a mentor for me through this whole journey. I'm actually catching up with her tonight. Um, And I'm going to hand over my book for for the first time. Um, But Sandy gave me advice. And I remember she said to me, Jenna, it might not be your first book that gets published it might be your second it might be your third so you need to keep writing and when i was doing you know all my research and connecting with all these resources that was the you know consistent thread keep writing just keep writing doesn't matter what happens your words are your words they're no one else's write for you first keep writing and that's what i did and in the end i had two manuscripts to take to danielle and then danielle took two manuscripts to pan macmillan and we actually also had um, like 10,000 of, of a, another book and two, three pages of synopses of other books. So you've got to keep writing because that shows that you have more ideas, um, more than one story. You're not a one-hit wonder. Um, it shows development in your skills. Um, and that was a discussion that I had had as well. Like, okay, well, we can actually see how much your writing has developed from book one to book two. We might lead with this one for now because this one needs a bit more work, but you're proving to people that you're a long-term investment. So you got to keep writing. No matter who says no, write for you first and keep writing. Love it. And yeah. in, the, in the end, it prepares you for everything else because just when you get the book deal, it doesn't mean everything becomes easy. You need to have the resilience to deal with edits, to deal with feedback. Like you need to just grow that thick skin.
0: Yeah. So keep writing, grow a thick skin. And what's number three? Um, I think you need to learn to back yourself
2: and that's not like an ego thing it's not a I'm better than everyone it's actually much more humble than that and it's about understanding where you fit in the world of writing you need to know your niche know what makes your writing special what is it about you that stands out in that field or in that genre because that's what's going to help propel you and keep you going And that was what I kept telling myself when everyone came back and said, great, but it's not Paris. We're looking for this. We're looking for that. I just kept going, great, okay, it's not my time yet because I understood that what I had to sell was different and I've got my academic background, I've got my teaching background. When you deeply and innately know a language and a culture, it changes something. And when I've read books in the past, I go, wow, this person, like, knows this stuff, right? So I think so much of it is knowing your niche and embracing that and hold on to that because that is what
0: will sell you when your moment is right. Well, congratulations, Jenna. I'm so excited for you. Everyone, get yourself a copy of The Italian Marriage. You won't regret it. And also, I cannot wait to see your author career just bloom and flourish. Thank you so much for your time today.
2: Thank you, and thank you for everything that you've given me over the years because you've been a big part of it.
0: (laughs) I hope you enjoyed my chat with Jenna. I cannot tell you how happy I am for Jenna and, of course, for all students who go on to achieve their writing dreams. Now, remember the romance writing course that I told you about earlier? Well, Jenna did that very course, and look at her now. And you're going to be in an even better position because when you enrol now, you'll get my Valentine's Day gift to you, which is the three free bonus Zoom sessions with the wonderful Pamela Freeman, who created the Romance Writing Course and has published more than 40 books, including many romances across different genres. So to find out more, check out writerscentercomau slash romance That's writercentercomau slash romance. Now we've come to the end of this week's episode and I'm going to leave you with this fun fact. So we all know that the word supercalifragilisticexpialidocious comes from the Mary Poppins film from 1964, but similar words had been in existence before that popular movie. There was a song in 1949 called supercalifragilisticexpialidocious and the word supercalifragilisticexpialidocious just like nuances there. Uh, That one appeared in a column by Helen Herman in the Syracuse Daily Orange in 1931. So there you go. You thought it came from Mary Poppins, but... It's a variation of some words that have come before it. Okay. This brings me to the end of this week's episode. Thank you so much for joining me. I look forward to chatting to you uh, next week, but I also look forward to hosting you in the Romance Writing Special Edition course as well. If you'd like to connect on social media, make sure you join the listener community on Facebook. Just search for So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community and request to join. Love to see you in there. It's free to join. And also feel free to connect with me personally on social media. I'm at Valerie. Koo that's K-H-O-O on mainly Instagram these days to be honest. Thanks for listening everyone and I look forward to chatting to you again next time. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writercentercomau slash podcast. Or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writercentre.com.au slash news, where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions, and much more.